so this episode of What Is Life uh, really is for philosophy nerds. Um, I loved it. I hope you will too. Uh, it's with Bernardo Castrup, who is a very smart guy. He's got two PhDs, one in philosophy. Um, and he is probably the leading spokesman at the moment, I would say, for an approach to the question, what is life, what is existence, which says that everything is essentially mental. Everything exists in a form of consciousness. So he's very good at articulating that in his own unique way, um, which I really enjoyed hearing, and it helped me understand it much clearer than I have before. And it's also interesting for me because although he has a different perspective of his own, my own view that you'll find in most of my books is pretty similar. Everything exists in consciousness, except I spend my whole life doubting my ideas to see if they hold up, and that idea eventually didn't hold up for me. And I've gone through, in the last few years, a transition into a different way of seeing the nature of reality, the way that spirituality and science relate, and my whole vision of what this is. Uh, so I get to share some of that with him, and we play out that difference. And uh, I hope you have as much fun watching it as we did uh, taking part in the conversation. It's uh, a real pleasure to uh, connect with you because so many people have told me for quite some time that I really must. Uh, so it'd be better if we were in person, but this is a good second best. It's my pleasure too, Jim. I've seen you uh, give your talks and I always wanted to have a chat with you. So, hey, here, here it is. <laughs> Fantastic. So um, the idea behind this um, series, this What Is Life series, is really it's an excuse for me to get together with people like yourself who seem to be burdened with the same uh, excessive curiosity that, that I'm burdened with um, and want to ask the deepest questions about the nature of existence. And uh, I have to confess with you, I'm uh, sitting down with you because of my, my, I have some knowledge like you have of me. I have some knowledge, obviously, of what you, you're saying and what you've done and, and all of that. And you know, my nature with my, myself, I spend most of my days disagreeing with myself. That's what I do, really. I take my ideas and I push them as hard as I can. And the ones that don't fall over, I carry on with. Um, so I find that really helpful and enjoyable to do it. It's kind of a slightly Socratic, I guess. Um, but uh, one has to be careful doing that with other people because people get misunderstood in that way. So I'm, often when I'm doing these conversations, there's part of me that has to sit down beforehand and go, now, Tim, don't remember this is somebody else, not you. Oh, no, feel free to do that. That's I'm exactly what, okay. this is why I feel relaxed with you, Bernardo, because I've, I've seen you and I just feel like I can just relax and be myself with this guy. We're, we're on the same page here. There's no competition. There's just like, what's the truth? And, yeah. and so, so that's, a, that's a huge relief. Uh, the, so the other, the other thought I thought I'd like to throw in um, before we kick off with the ideas is I was reading a book uh, a little while back with a, a young man, who, amazing young man who, who, who I had a conversation with called Mark Gober or Gober. I never heard his second name. It's pronounced. Um, and he quoted you a fair few times. And there was one little thing that he quoted, and I just thought, this is a nice place to start. So I jumped, I grabbed that at it. And this is a paraphrase view, it's not even a quote. So I don't know if it's right or not. But he said, people believe that truth has forever been known by someone, and we just have to relearn it 
And Bernardo says, what if no one knows yet? What if no one in the entire existence has the answers? What if we are the pioneer scientists and psychonauts that are helping God awaken for the first time? Yeah. And uh, I'm hoping you did say something like that because I, I did really, say it, yeah. I, I love that. It's and a very good paraphrase. It's accurate. It, it is? <laughs> yeah. Very good. Because that captures the, the way that I feel about ev- this conversation. So after that somewhat elongated <laughs> intro, I'm wondering whether, whether rather what I'd like to try to do, I think, if you're up for it, Bernardo, is to start by asking you to outline as succinctly as you're able to where you've come to with your philosophy of what existence is so that I can, and if I can just interject occasionally to ask questions where I feel like I've not quite understood that, then um, I can, I can know that I'm addressing actually what you're saying and not what I imagine you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So my starting point is to acknowledge that there is a world, a world out there that does not depend on our private mentation, our private minds. It would continue on even if we were not here uh, uh, to, to apprehend it through our senses. So I acknowledge that. But what mainstream materialism does, it goes a step further. It says the, this world out there is not only outside our minds, it's outside mind as an ontological category. It is not mental. And what they replace for it, what they put in place of the world of perceptions, the world of qualities, of colors, flavors, textures, uh, they replace it with a description. We use quantities to to capture the relative differences between qualities. Like it feels one thing to, to be warm, it feels another thing to be cold. We capture that difference with a temperature number. Or uh, we, if, if we lift a rock, it's heavy. If we lift a feather, it's light. And we capture that difference with a quantity called weight. Uh, what materialists then did is to take this description of relative differences between qualities and say, you know what? Only the description exists. And that which is described is somehow an epiphenomenon of our brains. It's created inside our skull, but it's not really out there. Well, I disagree with that. I think it's a logical error. I think what's out there is mental too, just like our inner life, but it is transpersonal mentation. It consists of, if you will, thoughts out there, which present themselves to us in the form of the inanimate universe, the physical universe, just as our own private conscious inner lives present themselves to others uh, in the form of our bodies which are made of the same atoms and force fields as the inanimate universe. So for me, reality is fundamentally mental. And what we call, and I don't mean that in British slang. (laughs) It may be that too. (laughs) Reality is mental. And what we call matter is just what mentation looks like from a certain perspective, namely from across a dissociative boundary. We are dissociated mental complexities of a universal consciousness. And what that dissociation looks like is life, is biological bodies, metabolism. So that in a nutshell is what I put forward. Fantastic. Okay, so so here's the bits I want to try and home in on to understand before we... Um, so you have this idea um, of dissociation that an individual is dissociated. So is that, do you see that like, what, what, is, the, what is the actual individual that's dissociated? What, what, make, what make, is it like a monad of consciousness or a, is it the, the, the actual form? You have the, the image of the whirlpool in the, 
in the water, which I, I think is a really helpful image. But so, but I'm you know, what's the what's the, the information that makes the whirlpool twirl? What's, right. Yeah. What mm. makes me me is what I guess I'm saying. To yeah. You. Yeah. I think we are each a set of conscious experiences which we string together in the form of a personal narrative, which contains uh, memories. Uh, uh, stringed out in the form of a timeline, but also a personal narrative about what you are, uh, uh, what your, what's your place in the world, what you do, what's your name, how you look like in the mirror, and all that. Uh, and we've lost the associative bridges uh, to the transpersonal experiences out there. In other words, what it's like to be the universe. Th that we've lost. We cannot associate with that. Okay, uh, can, I, can, I, yeah. can I just pause you there? I want to go back on the other thing, but I just I want to just home in on that for a second. We've lost it. So we did have it. When did we have it? Before we were born. What were we before we were born? Uh, the eye of the universe, what Schopenhauer called the one eye of the world, which looks out from every creature. Okay, so the eye of the world, it loses it and becomes a, a set of experiences which has no particular center. It's a set of experiences in consciousness which then becomes disassociated into something which thinks it's itself. Into multiple alters, yes. But the, the core subjectivity behind that eye of the universe and each alter is the same. Mm -hmm. It's the, the same sense of uh, narrative-less eyeness. Mm -hmm. uh, um, if you were to be placed together with me in a sensory deprivation chamber and we would both go amnesic, for at least a few moments, uh, for at least a moment, you and I would be the same thing. We would feel exactly the same from inside. Once you undress that I-ness. That, that's two different things there though, isn't it? There's difference between we would feel the same and we would be the same. Uh, uh, in, in normal uh, colloquial language, yes. But I think if you really meditate upon this question very carefully, I think you would quickly realize that it's not two instances of the same unit. It is, it is only one thing. It's not mm -hmm. two cars of the same make, model, and year. It's just one car which thinks itself to be two and, and mm -hmm. because of dissociation. So, so, the, so the thing which, it, which knew, it, so it, al it already knows itself. I don't think And so. then it loses that knowledge of itself inexperience when we say knowledge we tend to think of something metacognitive you not only know you know that you know so so with 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 the with the with the the mind of the universe the what's your favorite term for that uh, universal consciousness universal consciousness with universal consciousness when it's not confused and dissociated what is it What's its experience, or does it have experience, or, or does it know that it exists, or, or, or experience that it exists? Or? I think it, it experiences, uh, but I think its experiences are instinctive and not metacognitive. In other words, it's not telling itself, oh, I am the mind behind the universe. It doesn't have that ability to introspect in a self-reflective way. And I think that because in us humans, we, we've evolved that ability. Uh, lower animals don't seem to have that ability. We've evolved it, evolved it because of the pressures of natural selection, uh, but the universal consciousness did not undergo these pressures. So I think it, it feels, it experiences, 
But what it, does it not. what does it feel and experience? <laughs> that, that's uh, that's uh, that's the ultimate question, isn't it? I am dissociated from it, so I don't really know. Um, I think. Well, let, let me rephrase it. Then. How does it feel and experience? I mean, how does that happen? Instinctively that, and that mainly pure consciousness. How can just pure consciousness, if it is pure consciousness, how can it feel? Or experience doesn't that need a subject and object, for instance? Or uh, the, the, the division between, between subject and object requires some degree of metacognition of, of, of self-reflection. Yeah. It requires a a sort of identification of the self as distinct from something else. Now, this is of course not available to universal consciousness right. because there is nothing else. Uh, but you can imagine consciousness having purely endogenous states. In technical language, philosophers would say having phenomenal states that have no intentional content. That's a very complicated way to say that it can merely feel, it can merely uh, have volition. It may desire, it may feel comfort or discomfort, uh, it may want or dislike, but it doesn't have perceptual content about a world, a world beyond itself. Okay, so I have some troubles with that, but we'll come back to that. Let me carry on trying to understand what you're saying. So it's dissociated itself. Yes. Volitionally? Because it's got volition? Uh, yes, but, but instinctively. I don't think it had a plan to dissociate itself. I don't think it intended it in a self-reflective so what, so way. I'm, I think one, one of the things I'm struggling with is what this word, inst I understand instinctive in the biological sense that I have biological instincts and they're different to my cognitions and I experience them, of course. And, uh, but what's the instincts of yeah. the cosmic universal consciousness? Now? Think of instinct, instinct in the following way. If, if okay. my cat is hungry, yeah. he goes and gets his food. Yeah. But he's not telling himself, oh, I am hungry. I should go and get my food. That is metacognitive or self-reflective or premeditated. Uh, but the cat just feels the hunger and it immediately associates it with the actions of getting the food, but he's not thinking about, oh, now I need to get so, my food. So you're talking about it, the volition being not thought, but being pre-conceptual volition. Is that what you mean? Yeah, it's not premeditated. It's spontaneous. Okay. So where does it come from? It is the nature of consciousness to have phenomenal states, to have desires, to have comfort or discomfort, to have endogenous a phenomenal state. It's the nature of the thing. Another way to talk about it is it's the nature of the universe to have matter and energy organizing according to certain patterns. I'm saying the exact same thing, but from another perspective, from a second person perspective. Okay. It's Very just good. what I, consciousness I, does. I, I think of it in terms of patterns of excitation of consciousness. Yes, it is yes. in its nature to self-excite. And what, yeah, yeah. what do, do, do these self-excitations feel like? Well, that's the instinctive mentation of universal consciousness. Okay, okay. So it's it is like a mirror image of the physics view, in a way, kind of very similar, but with the field of consciousness rather than yes. quantum fields and whatever. Yeah, physics so, has an outside perspective because yeah, a physicist yeah. is a yeah. dissociated alter. So he sees universal consciousness from across a dissociative boundary. His very own, good. very good. And, and and what that inner life looks like to him is matter and energy because he's from across a dissociative boundary. But on the other side of the dissociative dissociative boundary, that matter and energy is actually volitional states, states of comfort and discomfort, instinctual mentation. That's what the inner essence of it is uh, behind the physics, so to say. 
So, okay, one last question. I think it's, I've already said it, but just because I'm not quite, I'm not make sure I haven't quite got, I think I've got the other stuff a bit enough. Um, so is, so it's not volitional. There's not, there's no, there's no plan. It hasn't gone. I'm going to do this because yeah. it isn't God choosing to be the universe to blah, 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 which is a common mythos, but is it's something which is just happening of itself through this instinctual or very low level that's what I think. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so it's got itself in this mess where it thinks it's Tim and Bernardo talking about itself. And now what? Now, <laughs> now we've got into this pickle. What, 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 does it have any point? Does the pickle end when we die? Is there some purpose to be found in the pickle or is it just a pickle? Now we go back to the paraphrase you started with. I don't think anybody knows, not even it, not even universal consciousness. Oh, I love that. That's lovely. <laughs> that reminds me of the Rig Veda quote, you know, where it says exactly that. And I love that. Yeah. Go on. But I have a suspicion. Okay. Um, and the suspicion is, look, everything I'm saying is, has originally been motivated by empirical observations. Eh? So what I'm about to say is also motivated by the fact that the universe seems to push very hard towards life towards dissociation. I mean, it, 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 life on earth, it has occupied every little niche it could occupy. Even the most caustic, hot, uh, inhospitable places their life is. And life is extraordinarily resilient. So it seems like once the universe found this dissociation somewhere, maybe by you know instinctive stumbling upon it at some point in time, it really latched onto it. Um, maybe it's only in planet Earth, I, I don't know, but at least here it really latched onto it. So I think it is, it, it feels a telos instinctively uh, uh, around the notion ah, okay. of life. So there's and an I, instinctive telos. Yes, you don't okay. need to be premeditated yeah, to yeah, realize that, oh, this is going well, or no, this is not, not, not going well. Okay. So I think <clears throat> upon stumbling uh, upon life, I think universal consciousness felt that, oh, this is going away. I, I fancy, or it's not saying it to itself, but it's pursuing that avenue instinctively. Um, and I think this has to do with the fact that we have developed metacognition, self-reflection, the ability to know that we know, the, ab the ability to recognize ourselves as subject, subjects in the dance of existence, and the ability to observe what's going on out there, also in a self-reflective self manner. Um, I think that the instinctive telos of what's going on is this intrinsic instinctive desire to recognize itself, to know what's going on. Because I think, you know, in this mad instinctive dance uh, that we call the, the evolution of the universe, um, there is suffering for us, surely, but there may be at least a level of comfort and discomfort from the first person perspective of universal consciousness. So it may be instinctively desiring to get a grip on that, to stick its own head above the currents, the, you know, the, the tsunami of its instinctual unfolding. How, how do you see that evolutionary process, Bernardo? Um, I'm trying to resist picking up on it on things as we go along because I feel like it'd be better to get the whole picture. Um, I'm trying to make sure I do that now. Um, because if it's what about pre-conscious existence what about 10 billion years where there was no life what 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 what's happening for that 
I don't think there was ever a moment in existence where there was no consciousness, because I think okay. existence is in consciousness. Sorry, I beg your pardon. Yeah. So the, where there wasn't, there wasn't biological life, let's just yes. say. Yes. So, uh, yeah, there was a point when there was no dissociation, at least that we could, at least according to our models, as far as, far as we know. So what exists a, before that? Before this only what, today we can think about that in terms of matter. But there was nobody dissociated back then to observe that matter as matter. So, but the only, matter did exist? Not as an image, because there was nobody to look no. at it. Yeah, but yeah. the essence behind the matter, which would have appeared to an outsider, dissociated observer, yeah. as matter, that essence behind, which in my view is phenomenal, in yeah. other words, it's feelings, thought states, whatever, that existed, that existed yeah. before life. And all of our models of the universe prior to the rise of life tell us that that universe too was dynamic. It was changing. Uh, it was doing something, going somewhere. Yeah. Um, and that leads me to this, to this idea that there is at least a level of discomfort or at least a level of desire that uh, motivates or, or gives impetus to, to universal consciousness to try something, to do something. Because if it were perfectly content before the rise of life, there would have been no life arising. The universe wouldn't have evolved. Galaxies wouldn't have formed. Superclusters wouldn't have formed. Uh, it would just stay in the same state. There would be no time effectively. Okay, all right. I'm gonna be brave enough to disagree with you now. Okay. Um, uh, uh, so uh, it, here's where we agree. Uh, the, the materialist vision is flawed. I don't, don't need to go through that with you. It just doesn't work. It's not good enough. And like you, I'm looking for an alternative. Now, the irony for me in the conversation is uh, if we'd spoken, I don't know how long ago now, a few years, six years ago, uh, then we would have been saying almost exactly the same thing, different language, slightly different metaphors. But fundamentally, if you go to my, <clears throat> well, most of my books have been influenced, have that as a, as a foundation from, from which I'm exploring basically awakening to that realization. Um, and then that changed. And the last period, and it's speeding up, not slowing down, have been, has led to, I, what I first happened was it changed, my experience changed, my understanding changed, and I tried to accommodate the two. <laughs> And kind of do that with them and then it didn't work and then much more recently i've gone oh i've got to abandon this consciousness as the base thing altogether this is just i got it's got to go which was a big big loss for me to be honest because i'd written so many books with it as the base so that's where i've now seen it slightly different although the thing i'm trying to articulate i think is very very similar so there's a number of reasons why i made that change um one of the ones which feels like uh I can come in on with, with you because of what you've said is that, well, let me, again, let me pick on something which I, pick, I, I saw you say or heard or something where you talk about the TWE, that which experiences. I really like that because I'm, I am very much someone who's starting from this. And so one of the big shifts for me was that when you say, look, there's that, there are experiences. Absolutely. I'm, there is that which experiences, absolutely. And the experiences are like ripples in the water of that, which, so that they're, they're, yes. So I've got no problem with any of that. I think that's right. The question is, is consciousness 
that which experiences. And I don't mean this linguistically, I mean it conceptually. So it's not just a matter of what's your favorite word, I mean, what's the concept? And I had assumed that, and I'd assumed that because of, for lots of reasons, partly because it's the tradition and everyone's saying it, I guess, but also I, it was convincing. So my, my, the argument I'd lay out in my books would be, in, a, in effect, where everything you ever experience is in consciousness. And everything is either a perception or a conception, or you know, it's a sensory thing or it's an imaginal thing in consciousness. So look, you know that consciousness is the ground. That's where you start. And I don't know when I saw it, but it just like, I just realized, hang on a second. The answer I want is in the question I'm asking. I've just said, has anything you've ever experienced existed in consciousness? Well, I've just created something called consciousness and said it exists. There's a thing, a context, an emptiness, a presence, which is consciousness. And it's there. Is it? Is there, is there a thing called consciousness? I'm not sure there is. Not like that. I think there's consciousness, but not like that. As this, And then I've gone, and the things in consciousness, they are like this. This is a perception. Now, I've done the same thing. And the reason it's very, very easy to do that move at the moment is because reductionist science makes the same move. It goes, this is a perception. The real world is just mathematics or quantum particles. And what you've got is a creation of your brain somehow. You're not living in the real world. You're living in a, an illusion created by your brain. I hear it all the time. So that's one theory of qualia. It's all got qualia. And then from the other subjectivist, that's the objectivist. It's all an object. And then the subjectivist, it's all a subject, does the same thing. It goes, well, I did anyway. It goes, look, it's all sensations. But that's a theory because... Is it or is it the world? Is it actually the world that you're experiencing? And I've come to a different perspective. Now, just for this point in what I'm saying, I'm not saying which one's true. I'm just saying that there is something conceptually laden in the premise. So I come back to what you said, which is that which experiences better. Is that which experiences consciousness? I don't think it is. I think the nature of that which experiences and that which is experienced is the better concept is being. It, it is something which exists, which is now conscious, or I am, which is conscious of, of, of being, which is what consciousness essentially looks like it is to me. So that then you can come back to your great argument against materialism, which goes, it's not parsimonious enough. And then I want to come back to you and go, your theory isn't parsimonious enough. You've put at the beginning consciousness, which has intentions and instincts and feelings and God knows what. What, I'm do what I want to do is go, what's the simplest quality from which this process of evolution could have started? What's the quality that everything has, subjectively and objectively? I think it's the quality of existing, being. So the place that I want to start is not consciousness, but being, which then becomes okay. everything. Would you agree that if being were not conscious, then we wouldn't be having this conversation? 
I certainly think that's true. It has reached the place where it is conscious, and that's a massive, massive level of emergence, which is uh, which has happened. Although I am also aware that being is not just conscious of taking in information from you, being subjective being is taking in masses amount more of unconscious information. Okay, which is so not, being not is conscious. Being is is experiencing a conscious relationship with you. What is more parsimonious, that being is consciousness itself, or that being is something else which happens to be conscious? I think the certain being, because, because, it's, because what it's saying is, look, if there is a ground, so let me add another, so, so what, when I look at what this is, then a phrase which captures something that I'm trying to articulate would be, it is the one in relationship with itself. Okay. In a million ways, that's what it is. And one of those, and all, everything has that relationship with itself. And that relationship is fu fundamentally, therefore, a subjectivity and objectivity, and everything is both. But and, and therefore, what we're experiencing here is the one in relationship to itself. So being in relationship to itself as subject and object. But okay, if I agree with you, being exists. Now the question is, is being equals... <coughs> consciousness or is being something else that happens to be conscious notice that if being is consciousness then you have only one thing only one ontological ground to talk of which is consciousness itself and its feelings emotions thoughts these are just excitations of that one consciousness they are not something apart from it from that perspective it's not unparsimonious at all it's not inflationary uh, we just use several words to describe the different patterns of excitation of that one thing, which would, be, which would be consciousness. But if being is not conscious consciousness, then you have two things. You have being as it is in itself, regardless of its state of being conscious, and then you have to then you have consciousness, which you okay. somehow have to relate to being <clears throat> as an epiphenomenon or as an intrinsic property. Okay, so I don't think you do. So, um, so, so you're homing in here on uh, something which you know, the heart problem, as famously called all the time now, uh, the mind-body problem, as it used to be. So, first of all, I just want to say, and I, I'm not accusing you of this remotely, but I just want to say for myself and for everyone listening, how difficult the word consciousness is because it is used in so many different ways, and specifically, it is used in two opposite ways. So what I see is in science, it generally means that which you are conscious of is consciousness. And in, so your experiences, your conscious experiences are consciousness, where did that come from? And then in spirituality, and I think for, for idealist philosophers like yourself or uh, for me as I was, it's actually the ground. It's not, it's the experiencer within which the experiences arise as a manifestation of consciousness, but they are, it's the ground. So, I want to be very clear which we're talking about because what happens in the conversations is that people slide between those two opposite experiencer or experiences and it gets confused. So your thing was, where does that consciousness come from? And I, and you're saying you're having a conscious experience now and it's a, a different thing. Often it's seen as inner. I'd get rid of all of that inner and outer and, and I, break the, I would break the hard problem down actually into three completely independent problems. The first problem is 
nothing to do with consciousness is where does subjectivity come from because subjectivity can be conscious and unconscious the second would be where does then conscious sensation come from and then the final one would be completely separate again which would be where does conscious psyche or imaginal experience arise so there what i would suggest then is that the, this is the one in relationship to itself and every every one of its qualities energy mass uh, uh space time all of it is relational i agree with that so that and one of the the foundations of that relationship is subject and object that everything which you have information let's say that the differences that are arising in being can be measured with information or we can think about them informationally like john wheeler you know the simplest one is a bit i make sense to me one zero it's kind of the yin yang okay so you've got information forming patterns and then you've got it you've got patterns of information relating to each other the one relating to itself through these different patterns of information which are going to start off as what we call well pre-matter and then matter and so you've got electrochemical interactions where you've got a subject object relationship i'm not saying panpsychism here i'm not saying there's a little bit of consciousness in there no, which gets big get no there's no bits of consciousness in there or no souls in there there's information reacting as subject and object so for me i would say subject and object it's transjective the universe is not a subject or an object it's always both that's it and it only exists as both it only exists where they meet that's where it exists and what get what's what emerges in the process of evolution is whatever they're meeting so you've got and then when you hit biology you've got a whole load of more, new ways of that subject object relationship which reveals a new world and so you know just to give you a sense of that I'll, and I'll, I'll say what i mean by sensation now but you know so i would go with the world that i'm relating to here this world that is appearing to me it is the world but it's the world as it can only appear to tim it's not reducible to the lower levels of emergence it is what it is on this level this is the emergent level of the interaction of the this level of eyes and and this light and this matter and this this tree and that's where we meet not in my head not as perception actually the two levels meeting it's real there it is go down deeper it's quite different but here it's this well, I, I agree with that even okay great so then the question is what's consciousness <clears throat> look so um, can i can i can i just take you through just just do the last bit with where, what's got we'll leave the psyche bit we'll come on to that but so if consciousness is an emergent phenomena it seems to me it has to be understood alongside unconsciousness so there is subjectivity receiving information unconsciously and then it receives it consciously and what's the difference and it, and when i examine my experience it looks like attention it looks like that in the on the biological level the amount of information that is being received subjectively is huge and some of it now because of life and death and mating and procreation some of it really matters and most of it doesn't and what the what happens what life does is it goes that information matters and that information becomes prejudiced over other information and you see the beginning of this split so that you can you've got what we experience now and this is what that looks like it looks like prejudiced and wherever i put my attention that's what i'm conscious of and all the rest becomes unconscious 
And that's all happening to objective and subjective being. There you go. And we'll deal with psyche later. <laughs> um, when I use the word consciousness, uh, I mean almost always phenomenal consciousness. In other words, what it is like to be. If there is something it is like to be, then you're conscious. Um, I could say if there is something it feels like to be, which is more understandable in English, but although it's not as uh, precise. But if there is something it feels like to be you, then you're conscious. Is there something it is like to be my phone in and of itself? I don't think so. So the phone is not conscious. Is there something it is like to be the entire inanimate universe as a whole, including my phone? I think there is. So I think the, the inanimate universe as a whole is conscious. There is something it is like to be it. Um, well, that seems a big, the, big jump to assert that, but, but just go on. Go ahead, there, on. There is a whole line of argument behind it, which is okay. uh, where are the boundaries of dissociation? I place them at the level of life. Therefore, the inanimate okay. universe, which is that which is outside life, uh, is the other side of the boundary, and therefore it is a subject. Okay. Um, so I always mean by the word consciousness, phenomenal consciousness. Now, phenomenal consciousness, consciousness does not entail or imply metacognition, which is the ability to report on one's conscious states. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, I, I can be, if, if, I, if I tell you I'm feeling sad today, then that means that I am phenomenally conscious, but it implies something more. It implies more than then I am having an experience. It but, also so, so just deal with the first one. Where does that come from? Because that feels like, because on the surface, you know, if you just look at the process of evolution without a theory, just look, well, obviously you can't do that. It's ridiculous. Sorry, that's a stupid thing to say. If you look at it on the face of it, it looks like, oh, look, this thing, we, this knowledge of being, which you're describing, is emergent. It's increased as yeah. the process has gone through so it looks emergent, no? I, I'm, I'm going to get there. I'm just okay. trying to define my terms so, okay. so it's clear. I apologize, Bernardo. <laughs> just keep going, mate. Keep taking okay. it to it. So I am phenomenally conscious if there is something it is like to be me. Anything. Yeah. But I am only meta-conscious if I know that I have experiences. If I'm feeling sad, then that's phenomenal conscious, consciousness. If I know that I am sad, that's in addition to feeling sad. In okay. addition to have the feeling of sadness, I also have the experience of knowing that I feel sad. Okay. That is metaconsciousness or metacognition or self-reflection. There are a number of terms in psychology for that. Yep. In philosophic, philosophical terms, just to put it on the record, what, what formally is what I'm hinting at, hinting at uh, metacognition, metacognition implies a combination of phenomenal consciousness and access consciousness. Okay. But yeah, it doesn't okay. matter. These are just yeah, technical yeah, yeah. terms. I have no problem with any of that. Now, because neuroscience studies consciousness based on reports of experience, that's all we can do. We cannot measure a feeling. We can only measure the neurocorrelates of it. And we know that those neurocorrelates are accompanied by a feeling because the subject reports it. Now, notice that to report, you need to have the feeling and you need to know that you have the feeling, otherwise you can't tell somebody else that you're having the feeling. Yep. So in neuroscience, there is a conflation between phenomenal consciousness and meta-consciousness because okay. it's an artifact of the methodology. Okay. It's a methodology based on 
experiential reports. I'm not saying anything to do with, with uh, what would be a normal neurological understanding. You understand that, right? Th there is a reason I'm saying this, okay. uh, which is okay. your concept of unconsciousness. I'm, ah, I'm going okay. to get there. Okay, right. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, so neuroscience has recognized that what they have been studying are not the neurocorrelates of consciousness, they are the neurocorrelates of metaconsciousness, which implies in more than just phenomenal consciousness or merely consciousness in my use of the term. So now they have this new paradigm called no report paradigm. How do they evaluate the experiential states of a subject without the subject being able to report it? Like people who have uh, blind sight, they report that they can't see, but they react to all the visual cues as one would normally react. Yep. Uh, which suggests that they are having the experience of vision, but they cannot metacognitively access that experience. Yep. So they report that they can't see. Yep. Now, with this framework, now I'm finally getting to your, to your point. Okay. I would say that what we call unconsciousness doesn't really exist. Oh. Uh, it is either consciousness that is not metaconscious, and therefore people can't report it, not even to themselves, they have an experience, but they don't know that they have the experience. So they will report that they don't have the experience while they in fact have. Or dissociated experiences that uh, they are happening, but I am cognitively dissociated from it. I don't have an, uh, 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 an associative bridge to let yeah, me I'm access I'm happy to go that with that. that. That doesn't cause me a problem at all. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting there. Just okay, oh, one more chance. This is going to cause me the problem. Okay. And experiences that we don't remember we had. Yeah. These three things are what give empirical motivation for us to create the concept of unconsciousness. For instance, yeah. I was unconscious last night. For yeah. at least several hours, I had no experiences. Now, you can't say that. All you can say is, I don't remember having had experiences last night. Yeah. You may have, have had lots of dreams that you just don't remember. And you yeah. may remember later in the day, and then you say to yourself, oh my God, I actually was conscious last night because I just remembered a dream I had. Neuroscience has now found lots of other experiences that happen during sleep, which are not dreams. They do not register as dreams on a, on a, on an uh, EEG. Uh, so why doesn't this endorse everything I'm saying? It seems like it does to me. I don't think it does because I you're separating like consciousness from unconsciousness. And what I'm telling you is that I'm, both I'm not are separating them. I'm saying that there is subjectivity. There's the receiving of information, that there's always the meeting. I'm not saying it, I, this is not a everything's the brain argument. This yeah, is, but you said we evolved from unconsciousness. I would say no. All right. So uh, we evolved from a place where our subjectivity was not uh, conscious, not conscious in the way that we're trying to describe that oh, the whole problem goes, where did it come from? Yeah, that's the pro that's the pr the hard problem. Goes where does this thing we're experiencing now come from? So no. either either it's a different realm, and then the, the even big we can go on to the really big problem because the really big problem is not just where does sensation come from; it's where does imagination come from? Because that's a whole different thing, isn't it? That's yeah. A, there's I wouldn't go there yet because there are so many basics we still didn't sort out. But yeah, but, I yeah, mean, like, you know that that is just like that's the question. And what's that? What's the place where we're What's the place where you and I are connecting with meaning, not just with sensation? That's, that's my real interest, actually. But <clears throat> so all I'm saying is that, that, that there, there, is a, there is subjectivity, which it seems like there is a subject object relationship which permeates the whole of existence, which is like the, the subject and object are relating together and evolving together, and that 
they are therefore um, uh, emerging together. And that this thing we're getting, where I'm not just conscious of being a body, I'm conscious of being a psyche, and through the things I've been exploring in my life of awakening, I'm conscious of being the, the formless presence of the universe. So, wow, that's amazing. And, I, and the consciousness becomes not that it is the thing, but actually I am conscious of it and that I am it. Just like I'm conscious that I am the body on this level or the psyche. From my perspective, huh? um, you are following the script of materialism no. nearly all the way. No, 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 I'm not. I'm not. Okay, materialism also will tell us uh, the subject-object relationship is also evolving. It was not there in the beginning because yep. there was no life, there was no consciousness, therefore yep. there was no subject. And uh, the world itself was pure abstraction because there were no qualities. Qualities are created by a central nervous system. So there was no color, there were, there were only abstract quantitative relationships that we can capture in a mathematical equation. So the subject-object uh, uh, relationship evolved over time. I think the only thing you're doing is you're remaining agnostic about the nature of being. A materialist would say being is matter. What exists is matter. And you're saying, no, being is just being, but it also becomes conscious, just as the materialist would say matter becomes conscious. I, I would say being becomes everything. Every quality that this is being in the process of becoming, that the ground is not something which exists for some reason. The, the ground is the possibility for everything. That's the but ground. The ground and it needs is to be. And it is becoming everything. And it's doing that through a relationship with itself. And that relationship is what's evolving. Not the object, not the subject. It's the relationship which is constantly evolving. So that at each level, something new comes into existence. So yeah, there, before there were eyes, there was no green. But now there actually is green. It's not okay. an epiphenomena. It's not, you know, an illusion. It's like there, that potentiality, there it is. It's the world. Here it is. But ground must exist for it to be ground. In other words, it must be. Yes. Be is a verb that denotes existence. It's exactly. Being so is, I think, being the word I would choose. is that which exists. Yeah. And, uh, and I equate being with consciousness therefore yes. that which exists is that which experiences and that's the jump it feels like it, and, and that is true that is true in the sense that that which exists is that which that's why i said the twa works fine for me it is that which is the subject of everything it is that which is the object of everything evolving into a place where it knows itself and then the jump for me, which is way, you know, because essentially I'm, you know, I'm looking at how a narrative, I think maybe you are too, which combines science and spirituality. My major life interest has been in spirituality. It feels like then the jump to a non-material level of psyche, which is what happens with psyche. So we've gone from a pre-material through a material to a biological to a trans-material level of information opens up then this whole domain, actually, this whole of imaginal information, which is just gigantic in my experience and has its own identity its own subject object relationships isn't just somehow reducible none of it's reducible that's the big argument i have against materialism it's reductionist it goes this thing you've got here oh it's just you know you think you're talking to bernardo but really it's just a pile of chemicals talking to uh, each other you, you know? are reducing consciousness to being the moment you say that consciousness is not that which is i am reducing i'm not reducing anything i'm saying the ground from which this is flowered all the is qualities what? have come is 
the, sim the simplest quality of being, not a whole lot of other qualities. Yeah, being, being is that which exists. Yes. You say that so that this, which is, this is also being, but this is being having become this. It, it's, just a, it's just a way to remain agnostic about no, the nature of that being. Not at all. Not at all. It's an insistence on finding the simplest thing and going, and, and what it enables, what it feels like it's enabled me to do, which is why I've kind of been attracted to the shift, is I can now embrace a whole load of the um, scientific understanding which I couldn't in a way that leads to the emergence of a domain which is actually something that spirituality understands in one flowing narrative which doesn't have to start with what was for me the spiritual assumption. Uh, I'll be very honest with you but I think we have the, the freedom and the liberty to, to, to do that. Let's do that. I think don't get this wrong, but I think no, there is a lot of hand-waving in the argument you're making. Oh, that's because I being... do this. <laughs> no, 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 not literally. <laughs> you, you're, you're being as vague as you possibly can about being. Being no, is no, just no, that no, which I'm, exists. I am not. I'm absolutely saying exactly what it is. It's just very simple because that's, I'm looking for the simplest thing. Is being so, a quality? It is, the, is the, it is the quality from which everything comes. So it's the okay. simplest quality. Then it is phenomenal consciousness, because phenomenal consciousness is qualities. No, that's the theory. Now, is that, is that a correct theory? It's, I mean, it's you've the just definition added, of the term. You, you've added consciousness to it. And not only consciousness, but you've added intentions, feelings, no, um, this, uh, a telos, perhaps. Okay, okay. Let, there's let, a lot to add. Huh? Let, let me try to clarify the terms. There, there is okay. nothing to add. There is only consciousness. Feelings, telos, these are experiences of consciousness. In other words, patterns of behavior of consciousness. Okay, I'm with you with that. Experience denotes a process. Consciousness denotes an entity. Um, a, a, an entity is that which is. It's that yeah. which exists. It's yeah. being. And I'm just saying that being, the patterns of excitation of being are experiences. In other words, experiences are the processes of behavior of that which exists. Okay. And so what I'm saying is that the, the patterns of excitations are subjects, have a subject and object relationship with each other because the one is in relationship to itself. And that subject-object relationship is key for any concept, meaningful concept of consciousness. And that if, you put, if you put consciousness, if you describe being as consciousness, especially as you did earlier, as being... Already built it right into it while it evolved it. Conscious I, of itself. I understand you. If, if it's conscious already, conscious of itself. That's a whole load of more... That's a big qualitative jump from... I'm not saying that, uh, Tim. Oh, okay. I'm not oh, saying thought, that... Oh, I thought you did. Sorry. No. Um, it, it's not conscious of itself. No, that already implies meta-consciousness. To be conscious of itself, to have the thought, I am, you need to have more than phenomenal consciousness. I'm not saying it necessarily thinks the thought I am, but didn't you say earlier, I could have sworn you said earlier at the beginning of the conversation when I asked you that it was, that consciousness, I said we had to talk about knowing itself and you rephrased that. No, I think was, that evolved. I think the consciousness of the self, self-awareness, self-reflection, premeditation, um, these are all metacognitive experiences. In other words, yeah. meta-consciousness. Yeah. And, and, and that's certainly evolved. I don't think universal consciousness is intrinsically meta-conscious. I don't think so. I think meta-consciousness evolved with life. So what's the consciousness that it has intrinsically? And that's that the thing. I think uh, uh, we are using the term consciousness in two different ways. Oh, okay. Uh, Again, every time I say consciousness, unless I say otherwise, I mean phenomenal consciousness. Okay, so, so describe 
in ABC, so I can't miss it, before the universe, let's imagine, yeah. in itself, it has something which makes it called consciousness. What is it that it has that makes it called consciousness? There is something it is like to be it without Aha. necessarily a subject-object relationship. Oh, that's a massive jump. So there's something that it's like to be it without yeah. a subject-object relationship. And With, without necessarily a subject-object relationship. Okay, so that, that feels like you need a pretty damn solid reason for thinking that. What's your it's, reason? It's the same not, reason not your, for not, your being. It's the simplest quality imaginable. But it's not, is it? The one I've got is definitely simple. Sim you could be no, wrong. You could know. be right. But it's not be, as simple. You're using Yours is being and knows it's and has a feeling of it. Mine is just no, being. No, 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 no. The feeling is the being. There is nothing to the being but the feeling. Uh, there is nothing to the being but the feeling. Yeah, the, the feeling is not something that arises from something that is not. I mean, when we say that phenomenal consciousness, consciousness is the ground of reality, uh, we are just saying that phenomenal consciousness is the being and everything else is a pattern of excitation of that being. In other words, there is nothing but phenomenal consciousness in the same way that you're not adding stuff to the lake when you say that there are ripples and there are whirlpools. Ripples uh, and whirlpools are patterns of excitation of the lake. There's but just you are, the lake. you are adding something, aren't you? You're adding information. No. Oh, the information is just a way to describe things. I'm but not you're adding another being. I'm not adding an entity. But, but you're adding qualities that make it move or change. You're, uh, you're, you've added something. So there's a otherwise there'd be no difference between the lake and the whirlpool. Or, parsimoniousness. Or in parsimoniousness in philosophy, it's about how many ontological categories you postulate. I absolutely know, yes. I'm postulating only one, in the same way that um, you, a physicist I would get postulate. I, get, I, I completely get that you're, you're, you're getting only one. Um, patterns of behavior, Tim, are describable with information. Yes. So when you say there's more information, then automatically you're saying there are more complex patterns of behavior. Exactly what I'm saying. But you're and not really adding anything to the being, to the ground, because those patterns of behavior are not adding to the ground. They are just the ways the ground behaves, the being behaves. This is why I love your that which experiences, because I can go with that. I just think the, that you've inserted, and is really I inserted, this idea that it already has a feeling for itself because that's its nature. No, no, it has feelings, but not a feeling for itself. That requires metacognition. All right, so uh, it, it, has a, it has, a, it has a, a phenomenological consciousness, I think is the word. No, it doesn't have it, it is it. It is it, sorry. It yeah. is that, yes. Phenomenal consciousness or universal consciousness. When I say universal consciousness, what I mean is universal phenomenal consciousness. So yeah. having made this disclaimer, I will not use the word phenomenal anymore. Yeah. Uh, it is just what is. All I'm saying is that... See, that, that, that you've just described being, haven't you? That, that in your you? way of using the word, the problem is that philosophically, if you just call it being, you're saying nothing except that which exists. Yes, which could exactly. be matter, which could be no, something no, else. No, 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 so you're not. Philosophically. No you're, no, you're, no, you're not, you're not. Look, we can, let's disagree by all means, but I'm definitely not saying that, Bernardo. I'm not saying, I am saying there is something which is, we can say in retrospect, is the potential for everything. Well, what is that, Tim? Is that, is that consciousness? Is that matter? Is that information? It's neither of those. 
it is it is the it is the potentiality exactly it is being and it is and and by it coming into or it it because i don't think it comes into but by its very nature of being in relationship to itself it is evolving that relationship and it's that relationship which is subject and object and it's that relationship that will become this and i am that i am having that experience right now with you of being the one in relationship to itself it's just on this level of emergence there's solid objects and there's imagination and there's connection with you as another okay. conscious being i think meta consciousness implies a relationship between subject and object and that relationship has evolved it was not there from the beginning so i i, I go with you I all think we, I think along we're very close. the way yeah um, um so, so subject object were not there uh, at, at some point, they popped up uh, in the form of life because we needed to have a dissociative boundary within that original field. So you don't see subject-object until arising until then? Until that... life arises, I don't see subject-object. Okay, there was so only I... what you call being. So I would say that subject-object is all, is all the way down. That's, that's in the nature of... I... Okay, but uh, let... J- j- just, j- just let me make one quick point the, for, for clarity. You may yeah. disagree, but l- l- let me try yeah. to make the, the, the complete point. It will not take long. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think by saying being, you are saying no more than that which exists. You're basically exactly acknowledging right. that something exists. I and am. then you are being agnostic about the nature of that. Because no, I'm by not. Just, no, I'm not. I'm th- saying me, that from th- that comes everything. I'm not saying that, though. I'm definitely not saying that. I'm not saying that. Of course, from being comes everything. You're basically saying there is something that exists. It's the yes. only thing that exists. Therefore, everything else that exists must come from it. Surely. That's exactly it's a, what I'm saying. But Simple it's a truism. That. It's a truism. Yes. Within, and that's why I start with it. If, if you're a monist and you say, I start from being, it's a truism. You're not saying anything other than I'm a monist. Because, of course, something needs to exist. And you're just saying that which exists, I call being. That, that depends what you say next, doesn't it? Because if no. I say then next, it is in relationship with itself. And then you're just and saying. Then, and, then, and then you have subjective and objective being. That, that applies that takes to matter. All, and then those relationships taking on qualities. Then I've gone from that truism, as you call it, which is, I think is absolutely right. That's why I think it's attractive. You've gone through to account for this no. process of becoming. No, because I can replace matter for being. If matter is that which is, then matter is the being. And matter also evolved the relationship between subject and object. It gave rise to metacognition. So your story is the materialist story perfectly if you My, replace being with matter, which is precisely what the materialist But I'm do. not doing that. I'm so, but I would say that matter is the first thing that emerges. Well, not the first thing, but an early thing that emerges. You're escaping the problem by calling it being because you're not saying what it is. You're just saying that it exists. I, but I, and where, where often people think I am now a materialist which I, or a reductionist because they can't help thinking that, that because I'm going, look, the whole process is one of emergence. This is the emergence of new, the realization of new potentialities on ever more emergent levels every moment. And every moment realizes a new possibility. Everyone. <laughs> and every moment is based on all the moments that have been before. And if you trace that right back, it will start with the simplest, pre-material. It will become material. It will become biological. It will become conscious of sensation. It will become imaginal. Yeah. And actually, I think it can go beyond. And it doesn't reduce, but it does start with the simplest. So being is going to arise first as pre-matter and then matter. 
So that's not, not materialist because it's not no. going, it's really matter. It's going, not, it's really this. I'm not saying you are a materialist. I'm saying you are, you're a monist agnostic. I'm saying, what I'm saying is that uh, <laughs> if, if you think I'm agnostic because I won't come down, is it an object or is it a subject? No, you no want to not go, even it's that. Consciousness. I, it's a subject. I, I, and no. I, and the materialist says, <laughs> no. it's, a, it's matter, it's an object. And I'm going, it's neither of those. There are two ways to define subject. One is that which experiences. The other one is the subject in the relation of a subject object. I use it in the first sense, not in the second. All I'm saying is that at least linguistically, uh, experience requires an experiencer, that which experiences. Yeah. Uh, and, and I might as well call that a subject. But I don't mean by this that I automatically created an object. In other words, in technical terms, I don't mean by it that that subject has intentional content, that there is a world beyond itself with which it can relate as object. I don't mean that when I talk about universal phenomenal consciousness. All I mean is that if it is experiential in nature, then there is an experiencer, which is the entity. And the experience is the process that it undergoes through patterns of excitation. Now, yep. when you say that it all starts from being, it gives an opportunity for a physicalist or an informationalist or an idealist to replace being, because being only means that which exists. You're not but you see that as a bad thing. No, no, no. no. Why do you see that there. as a bad thing? I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm not passing any value judgment. Okay. I'm just trying to articulate the implications of what you're saying. Okay. Uh, a physicist could replace, could say that your being is the multidimensional brain, brain in, uh, in, uh, in M theory. And then he would say, being is the brain, the hyperdimensional brain, and everything here, everything emerged from it through its patterns of excitation. Matter uh, emerged from it. Because what is matter for an M theorist? Are particular patterns of excitation Bernardo, of the brain. I, Bernardo, let me just pause you a second. Uh, look, people can say, can take a word, my word being, or it's not my word for God's sake, it's been around for thousands of years. We can take that word and say, oh, well, I think being is this. The point I'm making is being isn't anything other than being that's the whole point so the fact that other people can hijack it and claim that it means this is one of the very thing i'm trying to come against okay i'm trying to go start with the simplest quality that everything has but that's not and a quality that's the thing by saying by calling it being you're not characterizing it in any way whatsoever all you're saying is that it exists it's that which exists so it's yep. not a quality it is okay. that which well, exists what, whatever word you want to use for it okay so start so, with that as you as you're start with that, that's the water. That's the, the TWE. That's the thing which is but, going to... But you're not saying what it is. Thing. You're not because saying it anything. Isn't, because it isn't anything. It is, you, it is simply being. Of course it is. Which will become everything. And what you avoid then is having to account for where the other qualities that it has come from. You're avoiding every explanation conceivable to mankind by, by remaining agnostic to that level. I'm not agnostic. <laughs> I'm absolutely not agnostic. I am saying something absolutely definite. It may be wrong, uh, but it's not agnostic. Okay. I'm not saying I don't know what it is. I am absolutely going, there is something which everything has and it's a quality of being. Let's okay. see if we can start the narrative with the simplest thing and end up with this. If being is a quality, it is phenomenal consciousness by definition of terms. But, but okay, let, 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 me try to, let me try another 
angle, another avenue. And, and I, I have to this. tell you, I know we're going on a bit. I knew we would. I, there is one other whole area. There's loads of things I want to talk about, but there's one area I really want to home in with you to understand what you're saying because I don't understand. I don't think we can go anywhere unless we understand each other on, uh, on this. Well, uh, this is this is the ground. We might have to we might have to put a hold on this just because I do want to go into this thing and just see what you. We can do another another time again. I don't mind. Well, or I can go maybe, longer today. Okay, we can right, go on. <laughs> we'll, maybe we'll do that. This is mainly for us anyway, I think. Look, uh, I agree there is the most basic thing conceivable. And it, and it is, of course, being, because if I say that there is, is, is a conjugated form of to be. I understand. So if there your, is, your then it is being. also have being, yes. So by saying by calling it being, I'm just saying it exists. Yes, exactly. And, and then you want to be as simple as possible about the nature of that being. You don't want to attribute to it fundamentally anything other than what you absolutely need it to be, and everything else emerges. I don't think it needs to have any other quality to be the ground. Okay, so you're trying to just say there is the ground, there is that which is, there is being. There's okay. being in the process of becoming. Now, Keeping in mind the distinction I made between phenomenal consciousness and meta-consciousness, I will grant that being has evolved meta-consciousness. Yep. It is not inherent to it. It's yep. not there from the beginning. Yep. The subject-object relationship is not in it from the beginning. Yep. Uh, the ability to introspect and report on its own experiential states is not yep. there from the beginning. Yep. It has evolved, it has emerged, whichever word you prefer. Yep. Now, the question is, if being is not phenomenal consciousness, and knowing that phenomenal consciousness is not something that could have evolved or emerged, because that's the very hard problem of consciousness, right? We but know that- I think it can evolve, that's, that's the point. Well, if you accept that the hard problem is insoluble, then phenomenal consciousness could not have evolved or I don't emerged. Think it is, I don't think it is insoluble. Okay, okay, then let me try another thing. Assuming that phenomenal consciousness cannot be reduced, that's what the hard problem is suggesting, that phenomenal consciousness cannot be reduced. Phenomenal states cannot be explained in terms of something else. See, you see that's because there's an argument underlying this between what I call objectivists and subjectivists. And what I'm putting across is something which I'm thinking increasingly, I borrowed this word from somebody else, I don't know where it came from, but transjective. It's always the relationship. Jim, you're mis you're misunderstanding phenomenal consciousness. Phenomenal consciousness does not entail object-subject relationship. I understand you're saying that, but, and, 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 I, and I get that you think there's a form of consciousness which is built into being, which is, no. doesn't... It's not built into it. It, it is, being. is it. It is being. The because being. the moment you say the moment you say that being is something other than phenomenal consciousness, you are not being as parsimonious as possible, which is exactly what you're trying to be. You're trying to be as parsimonious as possible. But what I'm telling that, you, if being is anything other than phenomenal consciousness, then you're postulating something else that has no, phenomenal no, consciousness no. as a quality. Um, Bernardo, you're, you're saying that can't be true, can it? You've just said that it is more parsimonious to say being is phenomenal, is co phenomenal is consciousness is more parsimonious than to say being is and not have the second bit of the sentence. That what can't I'm be saying, true. What I'm saying is that being is says exactly nothing because no, being is that which is. I don't think it does. 
It you're says, just saying there exists something. That's yeah, that, all you're saying. That is what I'm saying as my first thing. I'm not stopping there, though, am I? I'm not just going, well, I've come to the conclusion and something exists. Anyway, so that's my, my take on it, which would be true. And kind of some days I do feel that. But in fact, quite often I just feel that. But I have actually developed an awful lot to say after that to account for all of these qualities. I'm just not adding that quality that of... Um, anything which phenomenal content. Everybody else will specify the nature of being in yeah. order to, to explain its theory. For instance, yeah, interesting. they do. Definitely they do. A and physicalist that's, would say, if, if you ask the materialist or the yeah. physicalist, yeah. what is being? Yeah. He would tell you the following. Yeah. What exists I know what say, is yeah. exhaustively describable by a list of quantities. Yeah. And by saying that, he's excluding a whole lot of other things. He's yeah, saying it's, it's not phenomenal consciousness. It's wrong. It's wrong. Uh, uh, so as an idealist, I would say being is that whose patterns of excitation are experiences. So well, I'm I also I saying think something that, I certainly about think it. That, I, think that, I think that is, I think that, that what you've described there would be very similar to what I would be saying. So but that is idealism. Because no, you no, see, on. apart from I would say that being is in the process of becoming and the excitation is the process of becoming. No. And that is both subject and object. And that will give, that will evolve into the experience of consciousness in every way we use the word of I agree with you. I agree with you with all that. Great. With all that, because the kind of consciousness we have is not pure phenomenal consciousness. We are metacognitive creatures. We are creatures of narratives. We yeah. are subjects in relation to an objective world. So all this. Okay. Has so this will get us to the other thing I want to do, which is, which is um, the 10 billion years before life. But, but with the with what I'm playing with, you know, I'm not a physicist. By you know, I have an amateur physicist, and I enjoy it, uh, all of its contradictions and interesting insights. But um, I am, in principle, able to go with the evolving narrative that science is developing. And, Me too. And yeah, I know, and that's great. So, but I also know, I think that you adopt a view of quantum physics that consciousness collapses the waveform at the quantum level it's a von neumann approach you, that's not true or the people that you i see your name alongside do but you don't so i'm trying well it, it's a very subtle point so, so okay so it, i would it, like it generally would, true what you said okay so i would like to understand because that i have troubles understanding that and i and, and so i would like to kind of get what you mean by yeah. that when we say consciousness collapses the wave function um, many physicists will interpret this as stating that the wave function is ontic that's the technical term yeah, but yeah. it basically means that the wave function is real it is mm -hmm. out there it's not it only has been <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's not only an epistemic really <laughs> yeah, but in quantum physics, there are two camps. Some people yeah. say the wave function is ontic. In other words, yeah. it's really out there. It exists yeah. In, yeah. in and of itself. Yeah. Others will say the wave function is epistemic. In other words, it doesn't exist in and of itself. It's, it's just a theoretical model that we use to explain our knowledge of the world to ourselves. It's yeah. not really out there. It's only in our minds as a, as a, as a modeling tool. Yeah. When you say consciousness causes collapse, you may be implying that the wave function is ontic, and that's not an implication I'm prepared to accept. Okay, so t just tell me what you mean. 
what I mean is that what you think is happening on the quantum level and yeah. how does it involve consciousness? And yeah. also, when you say consciousness, what you mean? Because I think a lot of phenomenal consciousness, different things. You mean phenomenal consciousness? Yeah. Okay. Right. I don't mean the consciousness we regularly experience. I mean something uh, okay. extraordinarily simpler than that. Okay. I think the consciousness we normally experience, which is a combination of access consciousness, metacognition, all kinds of things. I think that has evolved over time. So, so when it, so, so you know, when I'm not looking. The garden is collapsing itself. No, no, no. Okay. Uh, and okay, that's the key point. In the past 10, 15 years, uh, laboratory experiments have all but refuted the idea that there is an objective, classical, physical world out there. In other words, a world of objects with defined contours, defined properties, defined position. This is has been refuted now, unless. Uh, that world is observed or measured, uh, it does not exist with defined properties. Okay, so, so, that, so what do you think is happening then? That's what the, I'll, I'll get, I'll, I'll okay. get there. Then. Okay. <laughs> I'll get there. So physical realism has been experimentally refuted. There is nothing with defined properties out there until you look or interact with it in some way, until a measurement is performed. Um, but there is obviously something out there, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't be describing the world in a way consistent with mine. My description of the world could be totally different from your description of the world if there was nothing really out there uh, within which we are inserted, a world we both share. The fact that our descriptions of the world are consistent with one another shows that we both inhabit something objective out there. Okay, so but what, what the bit I'm trying to get, I, 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 I'm sorry, I, do, I, do I think I understand what you're saying about this. The bit that I, that I, I haven't got, because we haven't covered it, is the the do you, so you're saying that before there was the, so hang on but you said it was I'm phenomenal consciousness there, which is in everything phenomenal consciousness is not in everything it is it everything. is everything it is everything so the universe is collapsing itself i'm trying to get there <laughs> okay all right bear with me these things are okay. not that simple i can't i can't put them into a three statement i, I have to build up the story uh, you <laughs> okay work your way into it so the conclusion so far yeah. Physics has experimentally, experimentally yeah. refuted the idea that there is a defined physical world out there. Okay. But we know that there is a world there is out a there world. of some form yeah. because we all seem to inhabit it. Yeah. The conclusion is this world out there is not physical in the yeah. classical way we tend to think of it. Yeah. My answer to that is the world out there is made of transpersonal thoughts. Okay, transpersonal yeah. experiential states that's, that's why it's not physical yeah physicality arises when my inner experiential states uh, uh, interfere with the transpersonal experiential states out there and create an interference pattern at the dissociative boundary between the two that is how the physical world arises so and is that is that something which is happening like instantly and then going, you know, it happened like, like here, I've got the computer, but then when I turn my back, it's not there or? No, what is underlying the computer is out, is, is out there when you turn your back to it. Yeah. But it only becomes, it only acquires the qualities we associate with physicality. In other words, defined shape, yeah. uh, defined position, defined momentum. Yeah. That only happens when you interact with it. When I, that only happens when I interact with it. So, yeah. so I'm asleep at night something falls off a shelf and hits me on the head. I w it looks like it interacted so, with me. 
it doesn't look like I made it physical and then it hit me. No, no, no. The, the moment it hits your head, that's the interaction. So there was something out there corresponding with the book on the shelf and the book falling from the shelf before it hit your head. And then there the was something a... holding that state, but it is not physical. Okay, I think, I think then in which case here, we're, we're actually far more in alignment than I imagined because you're a long way away from a lot of the things that I hear from people like Deepak Chopra and folks that um, in, when I've chatted with him and, and, and you know, the, the, and not necessarily Deepak, but the whole, you know, the, the way it's used in the, in the, you can create your own reality. And I'm not saying you were thinking that for one minute, but, um, but yes, so, so, so that's very much in harmony. For me, it's like, ah, because, because what exists for me is the transjective, the relationship between the subject and object, that the, the world, the, the what is, is always the interaction of the one with itself. And therefore, what this, this is an emergent level, which is only there possible because of eyes, and, and, and we're having this level because of imagination. Yes. And when I'm not there, it is, but, I, but for me, for when I'm not there, it is still perceiving itself on these less emergent levels. I wouldn't w use the, the verb to perceive in this case because perception is something we defined in terms of our and organ and, and systems and, and probably, it doesn't have... You're, you're right. It's not, a, it's not a very good word. That's why I come back to it. It's a subject-object relationship. So it is reading, information is reading information. That's one way of seeing it in a mechanical way. Yeah, th there is something out there that holds the state of the world when you go to sleep. Otherwise, you would wake up <laughs> to a very Somewhere different else. world. <laughs> yeah. Or you would describe a world describe a world very different from mine. But I think we both agree that there is an earth, there is a sun, there is air, there are cars yeah. on the streets. So there is something out there. Yeah. My claim is this something out there, before you interact with it, is not physical. Uh, it is describable as a wave function. It okay. is not the wave function either. The wave function is just our way to describe it. It is constituted of transpersonal phenom phenomenal states or experiential states. And that is registered by us as physicality when our own dissociated mentation interferes with it through observation. Okay, so I'm really glad we headed off there. I was a bit reticent because we've gone on for so long and, and, and you know, I'm sure everyone else will have switched off, but we, we get to we carry on. Is, is, is actually here, I think there is a way in which it, it's looking like the two different ways of conceptualizing the narrative does actually come together because in a way, perhaps, I think maybe, which is because what I'm saying is look, it isn't an object it isn't a subject it is always the one in relationship to itself and then what exists is all those relationships that that the that for me and this may be your other forms of this for me it's like and that's happening on every level so there is when i leave the room there's something which the root not the room but the all the actually every single pattern of information is still interacting with every other pattern of information. It's just not solid. It's not all Correct. the things that requires me here. I agree. The cat could come in and it would be a version of it, more like mine, but still quite different. And a slug could come through and be completely different again. I agree. Be the same information being read by different information. And that what exists mm. is the place where they meet. I agree. I only have an issue with the way you use the word information because information is a way to describe things. Information isn't in and of itself and existent. Information is a handy way to quantify the number of possible different states of a substrate. That's yes. what information is. So yes. we cannot speak of information without the substrate 
that it captures the configurations of. And we're going to land straight back down on, is that consciousness or is that just simple being? So is that that field, which is, I know I I get that. And and that's been a really good thing to clarify um, because I can see that that's difficult for you to get across because there is an assumption, especially in the spiritual world, you know, the assumption in the spiritual world is there's this big consciousness and it's imagining everything and it's, you know, and, and, and if you went to my stuff, you, that's what you'd find. You'd find, I mean, I very much, I was interested in the, the experience of awakening. I still primarily am. Uh, the, the, the coming into psyche and soul, we haven't even touched that. The nature of death, the nature of awakening, the big love that arises from that. That's by my main preoccupation. I've ended up in metaphysics to try and create a new way of getting there for as we go forward but so it's i do you know i know that that the the world you know my my image was you know the dreamer the brahman the dreamer brahman there's the brahman although what what i like in that also is that there's a little window through which i probably have got to where i am now which is this idea of brahman nirguna brahman without qualities and it's like that i think maybe is a seed for where i've ended up it's like yeah it's god but with no qualities no. Yeah, I th- okay, now I, I understand another uh, uh, misunderstanding of terms. I understand now what you mean by qualities. I would call them properties. Okay. Uh, because quality is, by definition, in, in philosophy of mind, quality is qualia. qualia okay, I'm not, is I don't what believe it feels in qualia. Like. I don't believe in qualia. I don't think there is any qualia. What does that even mean, you don't believe in qualia? Are I you don't experiencing think... anything right now? Yeah, no, but I don't think that's qualia that I'm experiencing. I think, it's the, I think I'm experiencing the world and I'm experiencing the imaginal world. I don't, I don't, so you, I don't you believe think... that qualia exists, but it's not fundamental, it's reducible. Is that what you're I don't, saying? I don't think it's a helpful concept at all now. But it's just a descriptive word. Yeah, I don't uh, think it helps. I think what I'm... I'm... Is an apple red? Yes. Is, is an apple red? Yes. So by definition, quality exists because it no. refers to the redness of the apple as... No, no, I think the apple is actually red. And that's a quality. No, it's a, it's a, it's the quality, it's a quality of the apple that interacts with me. It's not a thing yeah, in itself. Yeah, but, there, you, can't dis, you can't take it away from the, the apple. Yeah, but, yes, and it's still qualia. Qualia is just a, it's just qualia a word. Qualia gets used to describe something which arises in, with, by both idealists and materialists, it's used to describe something which exists in awareness, isn't it? Yeah, but the redness of an apple exists in your awareness. No, I don't think it does exist in my awareness. I think it is, a, it is arising as a reality of the interaction of my eyes and the apple on this level of emergence. And that interaction is your awareness. I'm, I'm not saying that the red exists in your mind, your personal mind. Oh, sorry, I'm not saying that the red exists in your head. I'm I know. Not, I think your that. head is in your consciousness, not yeah, your yeah, consciousness yeah. in yeah. your head. So that's so the materialist would go, your head is creating the, the red. Yeah. Because what actually is out there is just primary qualities, and that's a secondary quality. No, no, it's not even oh. qualities. All right. Like, properties, abstract properties. That's what okay. the materialist right. would say. But I'm, 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 I'm just going back to Locke and all of that, and Galileo, where it all started, really. I think. That, that there's there's something primary and then there's something secondary which you bring to it which you do bring to it but you don't it's not illusory because of that it's only illusory yeah. if you're a reductionist yeah i, I, you see yeah, it I agree the other with pers- you. you you see it completely from the other perspective yeah. I, I think you do bring it into being because red is a quality of physicality yeah so i think we do bring it in, into being 
but it's not inside your head. No. Nope. Because we bring our head into being as well, just as we do the redness of an apple. Well, in terms of, our, of how we perceive it, yes. Yeah. So I think our dissociated personal consciousness, uh, as far as we are concerned, brings our body into existence and brings the redness of the apple into existence. But you see, in, in philosophy today, qualia is just, is just a word to denote what it feels like to have an experience. It, there is nothing more embedded into the word other than this descriptive thing. So it, it, you're not passing a theory along with the word. It, I, it's just I, referring... I, I see a theory often slipped in and it comes back down to that very place I started of have you ever experienced anything which doesn't exist in consciousness as a perception, qualia, or a conception. Okay. So for me, qualia are patterns of excitation of being. I understand completely that you see qualia as that. I, I'm just saying that in, in the way that I've come to see it now is, the, is just the subject-object interaction on different levels of emergence, that idea that there is something separate from the apple, which is the image okay. of the apple. So I would, agree, I would agree with you that perceptual qualia emerge out of the subject-object relationship, which in my terminology is it, it merges out of dissociation because it creates a dissociative boundary, subject within, an object outside, and perceptual quality can only exist by virtue of that separation. But there are also endogenous qualia, like a feeling of comfort and discomfort. You, you, you don't need perception. Conceivably, you don't need perception. You can be inside a perfect sensory deprivation chamber, an ideal one, and still have feelings of desire or comfort or discomfort. Definitely, because these are qualia too. And I don't think these require the subject-object relationship. I think these oh. endogenous qualia uh, do not require this, this split between subject and object. And I think, in fact, that these endogenous qualia were what the universe was in the first 10 billion years of its existence. Well... I am thinking, Bernardo, that um, it's been a great joy and that probably we should bring this to some sort of conclusion. I want to talk to you about death. Um, I want to talk to you about the psyche because that's really where it takes off because that is images. Um, uh, but we have, I, think, I think probably um, for all our sakes and for anyone who's made it through this, uh, hopefully interesting to some um, conversation, I think maybe we should, you know, the, the, on the note that that's what the universe has been doing for the first 10 billion years. Um, so, yeah, I think, is, is there anything you want to tie in just to, you know, I mean... The, the, just the, one the, thing. I, I think you'll be surprised how much people will enjoy this. Oh, good. Well, I hope so too, because I certainly have enjoyed it immensely. And... Uh, so did I. <laughs> It's a, yeah, yeah, I could tell. And uh, it's, uh, it's lovely to be able to robustly explore some interesting ways of seeing this profound mystery that we're in. And to go back to the quote of yours about, you know, what if no one knows? And um, maybe I can end with, with the, what is actually the foundation of my process as a philosopher or as a, a curious person, which is really all it is, uh, is that I don't know. And can, uh, can, I love that. Can I ask you just one final question? Yeah, sure. For you, in the very beginning, before all of these emergent properties evolved, or when you go back to the moment zero, the simplest form possible, there is only being. Is there anything it is like to be that? 
What a fantastic question. Killer question. Um, I don't conceive of beginning. What I conceive of is being that, that what exists is being as the grand in the process of becoming. So that before this universe, I suspect was a parent universe and a parent universe and a parent universe. And that it, the, the realization and that what this is, what it is, and is, the, is the realization of potentiality on ever more emergent levels through which it is coming to know itself, see itself, think about itself, be conscious of itself. And then the big thing for me where it's going is I think it's going to God. I think it is arising as the consciousness of the universe that knows itself, not as the beginning, but as the, as, as the end. It's flowering into that, just like Tim started as an egg and a sperm and then flowered into this conscious being. Okay. The whole universe is doing that. I ask the question a different way. Okay. In its simplest manifestation, is there anything it is like to be being? I think there be, so I would say, no, I would say that the being what it's like to be is the thing which it is em emerging. That's the becoming that and it's changing all the time. There's what it's like to be matter. Then there's what it's like, except there's not a what it's like to be in the way that Nagel means it. In, uh, in his famous book, uh, famous paper, what it's like to be a bat. He, there's nothing like that until there is the conscious ability to go to, to to actually go i'm this and then there is a what yeah. it's like to be so for you, or there yeah. may be there may be lower lower levels that's an i would say it's a spectrum so that that reflexive thing where you where it's there's a, what it's like to be is a profoundly emergent quality of the universe <laughs> that's which the is thing. why i have it and according as far as to i can Nagel, tell this, this doesn't have it but tim according to nagel and and ned block already clarified this back in 95 according to nagel that what it is like to be does not necessarily entail or imply meta consciousness which is what you're saying i, I agree with you in its primary manifestation there there there, there is no metacognition my question was is there anything it is like to be being in its simplest form? It's simplest no, manifestation. because that it wouldn't be in its simplest form. Okay, and then, that, you, the, then, you, then it, you're not an idealist. For then, me, <laughs> the universe in its simplest form, not only is there something it is like to be it in its simplest form, it is what it's like to be it, and there is nothing more about it than what it feels like to be it. Yeah, and I, 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 I've, I've never got that idea as clearly as I have in this conversation. And I'm, I'm in, extremely grateful to you for that, because it's a beautiful idea. And I really see, see it, and I see its attraction. Um, and I think the, the philosophical difference on the ground, which is mainly what we've explored, comes down to this. And that for me, what I love about that is it has warmth to it, that idea. It's like when people put God at the beginning, it has warmth to it. And when you're, and, well, for me, it does. Yeah, Let me just yeah. say for that, you know, that, that there's a kind of like, there's something, mm, and then, and I'm not saying it's the same, it's different. But what I've loved about it, you know, if you go something being, it can, you know, being rises becoming, you can define that as information, it kind of sound. But for me, it's like all of that, what it's like to be, that gives the universe so much warmth 
that's what's emerging that's the thing which is coming out of it that's what that's the potentiality reaching these beautiful emergent levels where i can be with you and there's a real feeling of what it's like to be and there's also a feeling of what it's like to be with you and connect on this level of psyche and and there's another side as well it could have been incredibly uncomfortable uncomfortable or or it could have to be the universe in its earliest manifestation because you know terror fear profound suffering these are all things that you know it is like to be yeah (laughs) what it's like to feel yeah um, i don't share your warmth about that i'm Uh, well i I certainly think it's been there's a lot of suffering going on throughout history that's for sure an awful lot um but there is also on this emergent level in the thing which motivates me in all this is 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 that you can touch something where i i do experience this profound oneness with the universe and then it and and this and it's love this enormous love is what happens in tim and that's where it feels like oh yeah that's the that's that's motivated i think the underlying thing of maybe it doesn't start with the most emergent it ends with the most emergent that the, the greatest thing comes last it doesn't come first it what comes first is the very simplest of things and then from that will emerge this and this and this and there's something massively redemptive about that so the, the consciousness hasn't got sucked into a dissociated anything it hasn't become caught in anything it's not a whirlpool of itself it's actually growing into itself and that Tim then is the foundation from which it can realize itself on a more emergent level and Bernardo and, um, and, and that's what we're doing, which I find a very redemptive story, which fits with my, my spiritual experience of life. Cool. <laughs> so I love you to bits, Bernardo. Your mind is beautiful. I love your openness. I love the fact that you're able to robustly hold your ideas so clearly. Your, your clarity is, is marvelous. You're by far the clearest uh, spokesperson for this view that I have talked to by far. And I honor you for Thank that. Thank you, sir. I love you for that. And um, uh, I you. hope that we are connected now because uh, um, it was a lot the, of fun today. <laughs> yeah, then I hope we get the chance after this crazy lockdown to do this in person at some point. Would be a lot of fun. You can consider yourself invited here to. to the and likewise, and likewise, if you want to come to Crazy Glastonbury anytime, then uh, <laughs> there's always room for you here. So Fantastic. thank you, and um, thank you, I'll be in touch. Yeah, thanks a lot, Tim. All right, go well. Bye.